Hello and welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. I'm your host, Gabe Peterson, and this is the place investors go to gain actionable advice, learn about current market trends, and hear war stories from other professional investors out there in the field today. Before we get started, I have two quick housekeeping items for you. First, if you like this episode, we would very much appreciate a like, subscribe, and share. It is the best way to support the show and keep it running far into the future. Second, if you're a new investor looking to get started in real estate or an experienced investor looking to take your investing to the next level, I've created an ebook just for you that will cover how to find deals that are actually deals, how to finance those deals with little to no money down, and how to exit those deals for maximum value. On top of that, I throw in an insane amount of free bonuses that you'll have access to once you buy the ebook. All I charge is our admin costs to keep this show running. So if you're serious about real estate investing and want to create both active and passive income as an investor, head on over to the website at therealestateinvestingclub.com and click on the button that says, get the ebook in the upper right-hand corner to grab yourself a copy. With that said, let's dive right in. Today, we have a very special guest with us ready to drop some investor knowledge on you. So buckle up, grab your pen and paper and enjoy the ride. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. Today, we have Rob Beardsley with us. Rob oversees acquisitions at Lone Star Capital Group and has written a book called The Definitive Guide to Underwriting Multifamily Acquisitions. So guess what our theme is going to be today? It's going to be about underwriting. I'm super excited because this is one of the most important steps in closing any commercial real estate transaction. Well, I mean, residential too. So underwriting is super important which is why I'm super excited to have Rob with us today. Rob, thank you very much for hopping on. Excited to be here. All right. I told you before we got on here, we always start with stories at the Real Estate Investing Club. So I'm sure you got a good one. Why don't you take us to yours? How did you get started in real estate? So I got started in real estate, kind of uh, had a little bit of a real estate background coming from my family's business on the West Coast. Uh, My parents ran a residential brokerage firm buying and selling uh, luxury real estate for their clients. And then on the side, they did some flips and developments. But the problem was they never really built wealth. Everything was about the next deal. It was about right getting that flip done or selling that next house. Mm -hmm. And so I saw that as as a broken paradigm. I saw them stress and struggle. And that was not that was not what I wanted for myself. Right. Certainly was taught at a young age to work hard, to Excel to build uh, to build things, but what I saw was just a slightly different vision, which is to actually build wealth and and build wealth that endures and grows, and kind of uh, that that was a very a big part of my kind of uh, the way I saw things growing up. And then the The other paradigm shift, yeah, yeah, the paradigm. And then the other thing I saw was, or or the other thing that I really uh, felt starting at a young age was delayed gratification. And I know. You could definitely understand this, and every investor understands this. It's the whole point of investing. It's, you know, I'm going to forego the bird in the hand because I I'm going to hope to get two in the bush at a later time, and so that's that's what investing is all about, and that's what we're here for is to to actually uh, delay gratification to get something better in the future. So I'm, I've always been about delayed gratification, right? Work hard today, enjoy tomorrow, and uh, so so starting in um, my journey in real estate was really. In, in college, when I was studying computer science, I was 
kind of circling back and thinking about, you know, well, how am I going to invest my capital? Let's just say I do make a startup successful and I make a bunch of money. What am I going to do with the money? And so I was thinking, well, I'd probably invest in real estate. And then I thought, well, how would I do that? And so I just started studying and reading and kind of like everybody else's journey with podcasts and books. And then being, and with the added upside, being able to go back to my parents and ask them questions and get their opinion. And so that's what led me to multifamily, which is the focus of our company now, uh, which has a great balance of both uh, cash flow, but also appreciation. So it's a good balance of being able to, you know, eat and, and enjoy some of the of your investment today, but then also build for a better future tomorrow. So yeah, that's kind of the short story of, of how I got to where I am now. Cool, man. I love it. So you uh, you grew up in real estate. I, I've said this so many times, but I'm always jealous of people who kind of you know grew up in in the environment of real estate because uh, you know there's a lot that you just kind of learn just by being around people who who are doing um, who are actively involved in real estate. So you had your mom and dad. They were in uh, luxury real estate, but you saw they they were just doing the transactional side. They weren't actually you know building something that that took care of them for the long run. So you wanted to do. Um, something more like multifamily, which is which is cool to hear. Um, and there's nothing wrong with transactional real estate for all you uh, um, agents out there. I mean, I love I love the art of the deal, as as good old Trump says. Um, I love doing doing deals like that. So there's nothing wrong with that, and you can make good money on it. But Rob, I'm I'm totally with you. Um, you want to find something that kind of you know gives you a little bit of uh, of of a road to uh, to walk on without you having to go out there and uh, and make the money. Um, so cool. You got started there and then you, you got in the multifamily multifamily, obviously so many people love that as an asset class. It's, it's very stable and has great cash flow, As you mentioned, um, your specialty in, you know, there's a million things you can do in real estate. Um, when you're talking about taking down large multifamily assets, there are countless roles in that. It's not just one person, um, you know, doing everything your specialty, it sounds like is acquisitions. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit more about that? You wrote the book on underwriting, and that is one of the most important things um, when when you actually, you know, you make the money when you buy the, buy the deal, you make the money on the close. And so you got to make sure that you're actually closing on a good deal. So why don't you take us to underwriting? What is your guys' underwriting process? Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> for those that are not familiar, underwriting is just simply the process of taking in financial information. And in our case, it would be the seller's financials, their uh, uh, profit and loss statement, their rent roll, and then any other kind of due diligence that we need to be able to put together a pro forma and make projections about our future investment. And so we need to take in price, um, revenue, expenses, future growth assumptions, capital expenditures, if we're going to do major renovations and things like that. So all that needs to be taken into account into an underwriting to then uh, develop a, a projection about the future and projected returns. Obviously, that's what we're here for is, is returns. And so the way that underwriting uh, keeps you safe is obviously by identifying risk and, and avoiding deals that don't project a high enough return for you based on that risk and, um, and then filtering out the deals that make sense or you know, filtering to only the deals that make sense. So, so that's a high-level description of underwriting. Now, our process is... We, we look at, I'd say, over a thousand deals per year, but we only underwrite maybe about 500 of them. And so we're churning through deals constantly. And with every deal that we underwrite, we are going through that full process of you know, 
inputting all the financials, making projections of the future, using rent comps and sales comps data to inform our assumptions. And obviously our boots on the ground and our portfolio knowledge and experience also helps us inform our, our projections as well. And then with all that factored in, we basically solve for a price for that asset that would give us the returns that we're looking for. So if we say that, okay, well, for this type of deal, we want a 14% IRR and let's say average cash flows of eight and a half percent. And so we'll just find the price and we'll just tweak the price to get us to those numbers. And then we'll submit that as an offer or just feedback it to the broker and say, okay, so we, you know, if in order for us to hit our numbers, we need that price of 20 million. And then they'll laugh at us and say, oh, sorry, we've got offers for 25. And then we move on to the next. So that's an iterative process that we do hundreds of times per year. And that allows us to filter down to doing maybe the best five deals that we see all year, um, which, you know, can keep us busy and, and successful. I like it. So you guys, you start with a thousand and then you just kind of eyeball it to figure out the ones that you actually do want to spend the time to underwrite. And once you, you know, choose that 500 that actually do want, you do want to underwrite, you go through the entire process front to back. Um, I want to dive a little bit deeper into it, but first question. um, So I've, I've spoken with some very successful investors, you know, uh, on the mobile home, um, mobile home park and self-storage side with, you know, thousands of units under contract. And it seems that what surprised me was that they they said that IRR is kind of a bullshit metric to use in terms of uh, deciding on a return. Um, they like to use cash on cash return, but everything that I've heard prior to you know getting into real estate was said you know everything that I read said to use IRR. So what is in terms of uh, deciding the return that you guys are getting? What first? How do you decide what um, return you want, and then what metric do you use to to measure that? Yeah. So these are really great topics. So I would wholeheartedly disagree about (laughs) the IRR. I think IRR is a little uh, controversial because it is complicated and it's it's easier to manipulate than cash on cash. So people that have been manipulated or just they know the powers of it, right? They might want to kind of walk away from it. But the reality is if I only had one metric to use for the rest of my life, it would have to be IRR because it's it's all-encompassing and it's the most robust. Cash on cash, it just ignores all the potential value that you uh, are creating that you would realize through the future sale, right? Cash on cash just speaks to how much cash flow you're actually making. So, And different deals have different profiles. So some deals you might buy and they have great cash flow, but really no capital appreciation, you know, no future upside. Conversely, you might buy a deal that's half vacant uh, and it's a lease up play, it's a renovation play, and you're actually able to double the property's value, but there's no cash on cash along the way because you bought it half vacant. There's no, there's no existing income. So it, it, you know, neither on their own is sufficient. So to answer your question, as far as the metrics that we look for, okay, well, actually, before I talk about that, what I will offer up as a solution for those that are leery of IRR, I would say that uh, yield on cost is the Mac is just the best. That is, if you want something that's hard to manipulate, maybe even, I mean, yeah, very difficult to manipulate and highly informative, then yield on cost is, is that one. It's the best and one. For, the for everybody, um, just explain what your yield on cost is. Yeah. So yield on cost is, there, there's a couple different ways to calculate it, but kind of the the holy grail way would be an untrended stabilized yield on cost. And what that means is when you are looking to buy a property, you would 
uh, kind of through your calculations, figure out what you think is the projected or stabilized NOI, net operating income, once you have completed your business plan. And since it's untrended, you actually don't forecast growth. So even if you're in a super hot market like Dallas, Phoenix, et cetera, you're not going to bake in another 10%, 20% of rent growth that we've been seeing happen, right? You do it untrended. And that would be your NOI. And then you would divide that by your cost basis, which would be your not only just your purchase price, but also your CapEx, because we have to factor in the cost that it takes for you to actually achieve that stabilized NOI through your business plan. And that's going to give you kind of like a, a cap rate on steroids, a much more informative cap rate, and will give you the true uh, return potential of that property. And the key there is you have to have an awareness or knowledge of the market to be able to know what a good yield on cost is. Because if I told you, oh, the yield on cost in this deal is six, that might be amazing or it might be horrible because it's all relative to what the market is trading at. So for example, in, in primary markets in Texas, stabilized cap rates are around, I would say, four and a half percent, which is crazy, but that's what they are. And so you're talking you about four and a half percent. That's a I mean, that's a pretty good asset because I've I mean I'm buying a self-storage down there for a 12 cap right now. And so you know, perfect example. Just to, yeah. just to so, clarify, four and a half percent. That's for a stabilized, you know, quality, you know, B or A asset. Correct. So okay. if you and so and so and and you yeah, you bring up a really good point because if if you're talking about a twelve cap first for uh, self storage, then a yield on costs that would be considered good in for there would be completely different, right? You would want 13, 14. The key is that you want your yield on costs to be greater than the market cap rate. Because if you can't make it to be greater, then you actually didn't create any value. Mm. The, the market values your stream of cash flows at a lower multiple than, than what you've than what it's costed you to build. It's kind of a weird way to think about it, but that's the name of the game. We want to create value by building a stream of cash flows for less than what the market than than less what for what the market can buy it for because then they pay you more. So that, that, so that's kind of the idea. If, if it doesn't really matter what the number is, as long as it's more. And so it, it, typically you want to see 50 basis points more, 100 basis points more for, for bigger risk. So for example, if the market cap rate's five, then if you can get a, a yield on cost of six, then you're going to, with that, when you introduce leverage, you'll be able to get mid-teens returns. And that's what many people are looking for. So, so yeah, so yield on cost, that's the one. So we look at yield on cost, absolutely. Uh, but then obviously the real estate is is uh, heavily reliant upon financing and we can't just look at numbers on an unlevered basis. And that's what yield on cost is. So we have to introduce leverage and then that's where we can get our cash on cash numbers and our IRR. So for us, we look at both IRR and cash on cash and we kind of figure out a price that satisfies both, right? We're not going to do a deal just because one of those metrics is satisfied, but the other isn't. And so these days, and I think I forget who you were mentioning as far as those successful investors, but these days it, it is, I would say, easier to make the numbers work on an IRR basis than cash on cash. So often for the deals that we're looking at, the constraining price factor is cash on cash because we look at average cash on cash throughout the whole period. We also look at year one cash on cash, and we also look at amortized cash on cash because when our interest-only period expires, when we're only making debt payments just on interest and not principal and interest, uh, cash on cash is easier to to have to be higher, obviously. But then once you're making that full debt payment of principal and interest, we want to make sure that our cash on cash is still reasonable, some somewhere around 
5% at the minimum, depending on the asset type. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, that, those are our return hurdles. So I'm sorry, I'm stealing the mic so much, but no, 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 uh, this is good. <laughs> um, underwriting, especially when it comes to deciding whether to go forward with a deal is, uh, is one of the most um, stressful periods in an investor's, uh, an investor's life. And also the one that's really hard to master. So um, I just kind of want to, you know, summarize what you were saying. You said the two metrics that you use, um, you know, to de- to decide whether you're going to move forward, IRR, cash on cash, but you think IRR is a more all-encompassing metric, and it's the one that you would choose to make your decision on. Um, what what are you actually guys? What are you guys looking for in terms of IRR? What is the the number that you uh, you look you look for in order to decide whether to move forward? Yeah. So this is a a whole other side of underwriting that is far less talked about, right? When people talk about good conservative underwriting, they're always talking about, well, what rent growth are you using and what exit cap rate are you using? And, you know, how are you, how are you coming up with your performer rents? Right. And that, those are all extremely important, but then you can get all that right. But if you solve for the wrong return hurdles, then you could be overpaying or you could be taking more risk than what you actually want to be. So, yeah. So on, on the other side of the underwriting equation is you need to have robust, uh, data and models to inform you as to where the market is so that you are solving for the right return hurdles. And so for us, our return hurdle ranges from 13% net IRR to investor, I'd say up to maybe 18%. And so why is there a range? It's because of risk. We can't treat all deals equally, right? If we're buying a class A, beautiful, stabilized deal, there's nothing to do. That carries a lower risk than buying a class C property, where we have to evict everybody, we have to, you know, spend twenty k a unit in renovations. There's down units. We have to use bridge financing, um, and not right, only risk. Two- I mean, you got to add money for the risk, but also just for the effort. I mean, having to flip an entire property that you need to evict half of the people. There's just a lot more effort that goes into it than uh, than you know something that's nice A class. So you got to pay yourself for the effort that you put into this. Um, sorry, I, I jumped in there. Keep going. No, you're absolutely right. And that's a, a lot of people, especially the do-it-yourselfers, do not account for that, right? They might look at a deal and say, the returns look great. Well, yeah, but it might cost you two years of your life and you're going to have to you know, risk getting stabbed on the property. And there's all <laughs> this headache that you're going to be living through. If you actually valued your time and your effort into that underwriting appropriately, then you'd be like, this is a bad deal because, you know, let's say you were just going to pay yourself a hypothetical salary of 250K or something like that, right? That might offset the numbers in the deal. So, uh, so yeah, you're absolutely right. You definitely want to factor that in, especially for people who are kind of doing it uh, on their own, uh, where it is all their own sweat and, and, and money. So, so yeah, so our IR range is about 13 to 18%, 13 for the nicest deals, 18 for the, for the heavier stuff. And, um, and then on the cash on cash side, it's it's around, I would say, we'd like to see a minimum of 8%. And so we do target deals that have better cash flow than others. We're not buying the, the, the brand new A-class stuff. Typically, we're typically buying B and C-class deals, which do have better cash flows because you're able to buy at a better cap rate. And so we are able to get average cash on cash of 8% and, and push them near to double digits. So uh, so that's what we're looking for as well. And like I mentioned earlier, when the interest only period rolls off, we want to be at 5% minimum amortized cash flow. We never want to be clipping a coupon less than 5%. Also, of course, the goal is uh, when that interest only period does expire or or prior to it expiring, we want to arrange some sort of capital event, whether it be a refi or a sale 
to avoid avoid that. We always want to be maximizing cash flow and returns. And so that's one of the ways that we we look to do that. Yep. Absolutely. I'm glad you said that because uh, you know, there is such a hype about, you know, the burr method in single family. Everybody was like, you got to burr the single family, burr the single family. And I like to remind people that you can burr anything. You can burr a commercial property. You gotta you gotta think about the refi when you get into it um, because the refi you can take out so much equity. So I'm glad you brought that one up. So you do with the underwriting, you you know your metrics, you got your IRR, your cash on cash. Um, but it doesn't, you know, that at this point you have found the property. So let's take a step back. Go, let's go into a little bit. How do you actually find the properties? That's the that's one of the more more difficult things. Um, once you find it, that is, you know, that's half of the battle right there. So, what is your guys's acquisition kind of process in terms of um, sourcing the the properties themselves? So I am both proud and embarrassed <laughs> to say that we have never bought a property through a traditional marketing process. We have never gone through a full marketing process, a best and final, and then have been awarded the deal. Uh, we have never closed a property that way, which okay. is very embarrassing because we've no, underwritten thousands of deals and we've been through many best and finals. And I, I, I can't wait to be able to actually uh, do that. But for, for whatever reason, and just due to the competitive nature of the market, all the deals that we've done have either been some combination of off market or a broken transaction. So property might've fell out of contract or it never went under contract. And you know we call that a stale marketing process. So you know, the key is hanging around the hoop for us. That's where we've been the most successful is, is off market and hanging around the hoop. And I wish I could tell you that we were more slick than that even, and that we were you know, we had an army of people cold calling a bunch of owners and, uh, but we, you know, we don't, uh, 95% of, of our deal uh, flow. Yeah. That's the beauty of acquisitions is that there are so many ways to do it and they all work, um, hanging around the hoop. That's the first time I like the phrase. It's the first time I've heard about that, but it makes a lot of sense. You're just kind of waiting for those properties. You know, they always, you know, I don't know what the metric is probably two out of 10, um, properties fall out of contract once they're under. And so you guys are just waiting for those, uh, those gems to, to hit the ground and then you pick them up. Yeah. And it, it's all about the broker relationships. It's all about making yourself known as, Hey, I'm a buyer at this price and I know this market and they, they trust you as a, as a closer. So we were always, we're hypervigilant about a reputation and it's not easy to build a good reputation. And you know, you might you might jump on a podcast and talk about, well, you know, we we never retrade and we always close on time and all these amazing things. But uh, when the rubber meets the road, actually doing all that is is very challenging. And uh, you know, we we're we're not perfect, but that's but that's very important to us. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm actually going through a, a transaction right now where I've had to extend um, twice, and it's just like, oh man, I feel so bad for the seller, but. Thanks, man. I'm telling you, I love you guys. And I also, you just drive me crazy sometimes. All right, moving on. Um, we are just check the clock. We are through our, uh, our original time frame, So we got to move into the quick question round. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Starts with books because I'm a big bookie, but you can interchange books with podcasts, with TV shows, whatever you want. Um, give me two recommendations, one for general life wisdom and one for real estate specific. So for general life wisdom, I would say I'd like to pick one out that you probably that's a little under the radar, but nothing's coming to mind except uh, the power of now. Mm. That's a good, good uh, you know, 
a little bit woo woo, but that's good. No, and I'm, I'm big on meditation and kind of being present to the moment as difficult as it is these days. Yep. And then as far as real estate, I would say, obviously putting aside my book, um, we would have to go with a similar book to mine in that it was kind of written by an industry veteran and uh, he, he did it under a, a, a pseudonym undercover. It's called Investing in Real Estate Private Equity um, by Sean Cook. That's the, the name he used for that book. And that's a, that's a really good book for learning about deal structures, partnership structures. And it's written actually for the investor side of things, but it's, it's very great to read whether you're an active or a passive investor. And uh, I'm actually striving to write my second book, kind of uh, similar to have some of those topics as well about uh, partnerships, raising debt and equity and things like that. Perfect. I love it. And I'm a huge fan of the power now too. Eckhart Tolle is uh, he's a great writer. Um, and I'm going to show, uh, you know, you didn't list your own book, but I'm going to list you just because, you know, you got to shout you out there. So you wrote the definitive guide to underwriting multifamily acquisitions. Sounds like something every investor needs to know about. Um, so where can they go and pick that up if they want to, they want to reach out? Yeah. So my book's available on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback. Uh, so I highly recommend everybody check it out. It is a uh, short but very powerful read. You can you can read it. You can read through it in one sitting or two sittings and kind of absorb a lot of general knowledge. Or if you want to sit down and use it as a tutorial, you could actually kind of follow it step by step as you kind of go through an underwriting process with it. So it, it's kind of a, a manual, if you will. Perfect. I love it. All right, moving on. And this one is for your younger self. So if you could go back to the Rob who had no experience in real estate, um, I guess you always had experience because you grew up in a, in a real estate family, but back to the Rob who had no active experience in real estate, go to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. I would say <clears throat> some of the good advice out there is the best deal that you do is the one you don't do, right? No, no good deal uh, is better than avoiding the bad one, right? Avoiding the bad one, especially early on is, is really valuable, although it could teach some good lessons. So I would say that's a great one. And uh, relationships, uh, I think that's, that's just a cliche, but that's so, that's so important. Perfect. I love it. Relationships and don't be afraid to back out of a deal if it uh, if it doesn't turn out to be what you expected it to be. Great advice. All right, moving on. This one is habits. Habits are the foundation of our life. So if you could pick one thing that you do every single day, day in and day out, that you feel contributes the most to your overall health, well-being, happiness, and success, what would that one thing be? That's a tough one. That, that health, well-being, happiness, all that <laughs> stuff. Uh what I was going to say when, when you kind of teased the question earlier, kind of about, cause I thought it was going to be more about success. I would say journaling and, and writing down my goals daily. That has been really cool and, and very uh, effective actually putting your goals down on paper, especially goals that you don't really know how you're going to achieve. And then looking back on them and seeing that you actually got there, right. The path shows itself and just, just the act of writing down, ruminating, looking at it, the more time you spend with your goals, the more likely they are to happen. So I've, I've been a big fan of, of gratitude journaling and, and goal, goal writing. So I'd say those have been very great 
for life and, and being kind of, uh, how do I say it? Like, uh, definitive about actually getting the life that you want, right? We kind of say, oh, we want to be happy. We want to be this and that, but okay, what's that? What does that actually mean to you? You know, what is happiness to you? What is success to you? And so getting more clear about the outcome, it makes it a whole lot easier to get there. Yep. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of uh, journaling and I like the idea of just, just write down your goal every single day. It's amazing. If you just write it down day in and day out, it gets into your subconscious. It gets pounded down in there and, uh, and actions come out of, uh, of the things that are written in your subconscious. So great habit. Um, moving on. This one is the last question and it's for the listeners because you've given us a lot of good things to think about. I'm sure people out there want to reach out, say hi, what is the best way for them to do that? So I'm, uh, as far as social media, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So I'd love for everyone to join me on their post post daily uh, real estate stuff and, and personal stuff on, on LinkedIn, uh, on YouTube as well. But if you want to get in touch with me, you should head over to our website, which is lscre.com. On our website, there's a, a free giveaway for my underwriting model, which is uh, you know a standalone Excel spreadsheet that you can use to analyze property. You could also buy my book and then kind of use them hand to hand, hand in hand. Um, and then feel free to reach out to me directly through our website as well. Perfect. That is LSR, LSCRE.com. <laughs> Don't want to screw that one up. LSCRE.com. I will put that in the show notes. So if anybody out there wants to reach out to Rob and say hi, just click the little more in the description. It'll pull down the full description in there. You can find Rob's website, reach out and say hi. So Rob, again, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you on. I, I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks. Yep. And for everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe at the real estate investing club.com. Other than that, hope you guys have an absolutely fantastic week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode as much as I enjoyed putting it on and were able to pull some actionable advice that you can apply in your own investing today in the field. Before you go, we have a gift for you. If you're a new investor looking to get started or an established investor looking to invest, take your investing to the next level, I've created an ebook just for you available on our website this ebook, ebook will cover how I was able to create both active and passive income in real estate with very little money to start with. In it, I will address the three most often cited obstacles new and veteran investors run into by showing you how to find deals that are actually deals, how to finance a deal with little to no money down, and how to exit those deals for maximum value. And if you get the ebook today, I am throwing in a bundle of bonuses, seven of them to be exact. The first one will be the off-market lead generation blueprint, which will take you through the exact systems and processes we use to generate off-market leads like clockwork, which is the most important skill when it comes to creating wealth in real estate. The second bonus is the A to Z REI systems and vendors guide, which will allow you to peek under the hood of our business and see the exact tools, systems, and even the vendors we use to see the success that we do. And the third bonus is the top 100 best performing keywords pack, which is which will give you the exact keywords we use to target motivated sellers online using PPC ads. 
The fourth bundle is, or the fourth bonus is our contracts bundle for wholesaling and renting real estate, which will give you access to all the contracts we use in the field to execute all different types of transactions. After that is the investor's quick analysis calculator and offer tool, which will allow you to quickly calculate whether a deal is an actual deal and will allow you to create an offer automatically from those calculations. This is a lot of uh, a lot of bonuses that I said. I'm just going to keep going down the list. Number six is the investor's daily success tracker, which is a tracker you can use to ensure you are taking the right actions day in and day out to reach your financial goals in real estate. And the last bonus is the wholesalers template for quick assignment cash, which will give you the templates we use to present our wholesale deals professionally and efficiently to our buyers. Whew, that is a bundle. So it's a mouthful. You get all of those bonuses for free when you download the ebook. All we charge is the admin cost to run the show. So if you're interested in the ebook and the bonus bundle, head on over to the website at therealestateinvestingclub.com. Click on get the ebook bundle at the top of the page to take advantage of that deal. And with that said, I hope you have a fantastic day and even better week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right, before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, Go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.